I, I, like I said, I've come around to it. I, I just don't, um, I, I initially didn't like the theatricality of it. Mm. Some of the, there's, which is interesting because that, that was a whole thing about that album and definitely the albums leading up to that. Um, I would say, especially in the case of Wildness and the East Street Shuffle, that it's mm-hmm. these big dramatic, you know, bomb, huge numbers. You well, know? those first two albums, he's clearly trying to be Dylan. Well, the, uh, or trying to be like the most, Jersey Dylan. Most assuredly the first one. Yeah. Um, which then Dylan made fun of him for in Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, and then, I don't know, it's like he went to Broadway and thought, oh, I'm just going to... It's like he saw Jesus Christ Superstar and ha- went like... Have you ever... Have, have you listened to any of the, the Stern interview yet? No, but I heard about this. I'm glad that you brought this up. Because I heard about this Stern interview. This actually, is Metal Platypus, by the way. Yeah. I'm Jared. I'm Jason. Kristen had said said someone had talked about the Stern interview. Okay. And asked if I heard it. I'm like, do we have Sirius XM satellite radio? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Then no, I have not listened to this. Right. But it, I said, like, I'm not really interested. Because, and I started telling her about the album right this this soul record yes. the, the christmas gift as i am now referring <laughs> yes. to it the dad gift yes Which, uh, at this point let's let's be honest it's the grandfather gift yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i said you know and i said to her you know i started telling her like about night shift how this is like have you ever heard the song and she's like me have and i'm like there's a good chance you have, but in case you haven't, it's like a tribute to like Jackie Wilson and mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye. And right. So you hear Bruce Springsteen and his raspy voice go, Marvin, he's a friend of mine. Yeah. He's a friend of mine. There's something about that that just feels weird. And yes, it's a cover song. And I, but also, I don't think he was ever friends with Marvin Gaye. Well, so, you know. And, and I just was like, to kind of put the point on, I'm like, and Kristen's big complaint about Springsteen is his voice. Oh, is it? Yeah. That's... Well, and then a covers album is all about voice, mm-hmm. right? Because it's that if you didn't write the songs, that's all you're saying is that it's your vocal interpretation of mm-hmm. it. Which I've never had a problem with his voice. Yeah. She doesn't like, like the one where it really bothers her is what his Santa Claus is coming to town cover. Oh, which and the claws coming to town? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, it's like hearing that song. It's like hearing. It's like the reason. It's like truth that you've what been does she right. Think of his Merry Christmas, baby. I would just like it. <laughs> it, but it's like truth. It's like she's been right for like four decades. Yeah, about Springsteen in his voice, and I do, like. I, How does that make you feel? It it hurts, dude. <laughs> it fucking hurts. Not because she's right, but because something I have loved for so long is like now reduced to like, like his, you know, is now being ruined by like his 
because he feels that his jersey, uh, his jersey bravado, is can cover can do a soul record. Yes, and I like it's like I can't like I can't prove you wrong anymore. I can't play Hungry Heart or um, right um, Streets of Philadelphia or um, Ghost of Tom Joad and prove you prove to you that like. There's much more Springsteen in the voice. It's like this this album was loving proof that this cover album was loving proof that you've been right about him the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I can't stop you anymore. So I have I have nothing left in the tank. <laughs> right. That, which is unfortunate. <laughs> I um the reason that I, I I am listening to you, but I, I am also um looking this up because it, it, it occurred to me, I, I listened to very shortly after our, our, and that conversation ended up being on Patreon, right? The conversation we had about that featured, um, our opinions on, on Springsteen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a Patreon episode, which by the way, I mean, prop us after dark, five bucks a month, more Jerry and Jason. That's right. Uh, and the link is in the show notes. Patreon.com mm-hmm. slash Hoot and Waddle. Yep. You get your money's worth. Uh, so, oh, and I guess we should also preface this by saying, uh, and this is this is largely my fault because I was on uh, a, a, an essentially week-long business trip in Nashville, and I did, I did not have the chance to listen to Down by the Old Mainstream, uh, the first Golden Smog album in our Getting Tweety With It odyssey. Uh, and so... We're we're kind of just going to, uh, I, I well you know what the first phrase that popped into my head probably because of how I was accosted in the Nashville airport yesterday uh, was freeballing it. Um, <laughs> so we'll just yeah, go with that. Yeah, you had the most. Uh, I don't, we need to get into and, details. And, you had and the can most. We say because you had the worst trip to Nashville I've ever heard. <laughs> Surely at this point somebody has has parodied free fallen with free free ballin I have many times <laughs> no one's heard it <laughs> until now now someone knows it exists <laughs> I don't know why I and that's been one of my favorite songs for so many years and I have never thought <laughs> Did you just come to this realization now Right now on mic. Wow. <laughs> with 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 um just slightly under two months before uh, my fortieth birthday. Yeah. I just <laughs> It's your last gasp of immaturity before you go directly into old man status. Right, yeah, because that's that's what's gonna do it. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, the, the last thing to get old seems to be my mind. <laughs> mm. Anyhow, what were we saying there? Um, You're uh, before you decided to desecrate Tom Br- Tom, Tom Petty. Yeah, Tom one of Brady. the one of the great. Well, yeah, Tom Brady did that to himself. But um, no, Tom Petty's uh, <laughs> one of his landmark anthems. Um, what was I saying? Oh, right. So this is this is going to be kind of one of our freeform episodes. Yeah. But after we had talked about how disappointed we were in the Springsteen covers album. 
I, <laughs> that isn't out yet. <laughs> that isn't out yet. Yeah, just the 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 mere existence. And there have been two songs, and I'm I, again, I, I am disappointed in both of them. I don't understand why he's doing this to us, uh, because that's what I've decided it is—a punishment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm t- guys. I'm sorry you loved me for fifty years. <laughs> Here's my gift to you: shit in a bag, and I'm gonna lay on your porch. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so I, I told you I picked up a copy, um, a, a limited edition reissue of Elvis Costello's Kojak Variety. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I'd forgotten because it, it does come with the copy of the original liner notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd forgotten that in there, uh, Elvis talks about it being volume one. <laughs> I would say that an album of covers that is came out in 1995 after sitting in the vault since 1991 uh, is something that he has said later that he actually would rather that they had just not put out because it was supposed to be kind of just an exercise uh, waiting to do waiting to do Mighty Like a Rose mm-hmm. uh, as he was trying to get the attractions back together. He was like, screw it, I'm going to cut some covers. And... Um, then I believe he says something along the lines in of um, in the in the uh, extreme honey liner notes. If uh, nobody, well, apparently I'm I'm going deep cut Elvis Costello. Extreme honey, if you aren't aware, is the compilation of um, quote unquote greatest hits that contractually Elvis released at the end of his Warner Brothers stint Mm -hmm. Um, features a great single on it called the bridge I burned that he had uh, asked for Prince's permission to quote pop life. Oh, 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 damn. So he's, he did not get the permission, but he um, just, of course, in the Elvis Costello fashion did uh, go ahead and, and, do a, a, a vocal nod to it. Uh, can you imagine that phone conversation? Like, hey, Elvis, uh, hey, uh, Prince, uh, uh, this, is El- uh, this is Elvis Costello. Hey, man, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> this is a mercifully brief uh, edition of Mental Platypus Theater. <laughs> I, I can just see, uh, like, hey, uh, I really like Pop Life, man. Uh, can I uh, quote a line from it? Uh, yo, man, uh, that was really cool what you did with the uh, with the quartet, man. The uh, Juliet Lex. I really like that. No one else does. Well, no one else does. Yeah, uh, uh, no, it's great. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no. And, and no, you can't use it. And I'm sure <laughs> that this conversation was just had between their respective people. I'm sure it was actually weirder. And this it. is an, an additional tangent. Mm-hmm. But it's it's surprising to me how often Elvis cites having requested permission to quote or to sample somebody else's song and not getting it. He seems like <laughs> one of those people where he's not Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, well, no, and it's it's you know he wants to he's acknowledging that the song he wrote has some connection in his mind at least what however loose it is to this other person's song and it's not like elvis costello is any kind of slouch but uh, he had also i think 
um, in When I Was Cruel, he had the title track, he had wanted to sample uh, Dancing Queen. <laughs> and they and Alba did not give him the permission to do so. Yeah, that's fair. I, I wonder how much, and I, I know he's apologized for this many times, I wonder how much of Prince's refusal... Oh, has to do with, with the, Ray the Ray Charles incident? Yeah. Um, I'm... I'm, even Ray Charles forgave him for it. Yeah, like even Ray Charles forgave. Like, but this actually this is this goes to my point. The the to bring yeah. us back several tangents deep to the the point I was going to make. Kojak Variety is a covers album. Yeah, I actually really like that covers album. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he Elvis is somebody who throughout the years has done several of them because he did Almost Blue as well. There's some originals in there though. No, no, yeah, there is no. Not a one. Not one. Not a one. Not on the official album release. Oh, because on the um, on the expanded edition, edition which is what I have, whether it's Ryko or Rhino, there. Yeah. He had early drafts of some things um, that he was working on for Imperial Bedroom. Yeah, and he uh, did the ones with George Jones. He he did a, a cut of Stranger in the House with George Jones. And he did um, We Ought to Be Ashamed with uh, Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. Hello, uh, I'm Johnny Cash. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I get because I have only heard the Rhino version. I ha, and I have it on vinyl, but I rarely play it. That's I, another one that I enjoy going back to every once in a while. I, I think that his version of "I'm Your Toy." Well, I mean, because I'm not a country fan, generally speaking. Oh, th- no. I, there are there are artists here and there who I enjoy, but overall. Uh, the Elvis versions of those songs are probably the only ones that I've heard. I like, like I, whatever pop shit they call country now, I don't care for. Right. Um, I dig your, um, like Jason Isabel, I think to a degree is still considered country. He is. I mean, his voice is unmistakably country, even if mm -hmm. often his songs are not like whoever, like whoever's in that, um, that Sturgill Simpson, that that variety of him, Isbell, and uh, Sturgill Simpson, and uh, who's I don't know, forget who the other guy is, but I like that that type of country with the honesty stuff, and they like George, and I like old school, like the stuff that my dad, sure. my grandparents listen to. So anyway, almost blue. I like quite a bit actually because mm-hmm. because of that version of I'm Your Toy uh, that version of Good Year for the Roses mm-hmm. obviously um, I believe you can uh, if, you, if someone wanted you to elaborate more on that mm-hmm. didn't you do an album of an item on that? No I did not Elvis is somebody I didn't tackle because his I feel like we've had this discussion about Almost Blue before though we probably ha- oh well no I believe for Mental Platypus, we did a, a like ranking Elvis. Oh yeah, because you want because you still love that new album. And I do, and I've listened to it again, and I'm starting to come around to your way of thinking. Hey, you know, sometimes I'm just ahead of the curve. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm surrounded just... by people who are constantly reminding me how right they are all the time. <laughs> It's not my fault that I have great taste, and sometimes I just have to wait for people to catch up to me. Yeah. 
<laughs> about <laughs> someone who was relevant 50 years ago. Hey, 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 <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> who I also like. Um, but I also listened to a little bit of that uh, Spanish language covers album. I have not yet. It's um, the some one with, the one with uh, the uh, the the one with other artists covering this year's model. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened to that one a little bit, and that one's it, it's fun. Yeah, I um, yeah, I am surprised how much fun I have listening to that record and see. And hear the interpretations. I mean, it's mainly, it's still the attractions. It's still as the backing track. But to just kind of hear it in a different way, it, it's kind of fun to listen to. Um, especially like Pump It Up. Like, that's the one that got all the play. Like, uh, I just I, I just enjoy it. So, um, the, a little bit I've heard. It, it, there's, um, it's, uh, um, yeah, I really enjoy that album. Have you heard? Since uh, I think we're going to talk cover albums, aren't we? Well, no, my my uh, we weren't. This was I had no idea what we were going to talk yeah, about uh, because, as I said, we're we're free free balling. Um, stop it! <laughs> stop it! <laughs> All right, please, for the love of God, that'll be the last time. My my point was, Kojak Variety. For instance, features a Holland Dozier Holland album, a Willie uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins song, rather uh, not. And also, um, it's got him doing a cover of of uh, Running Out of Fools, which I I always think of associated with uh, Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I didn't have a problem with it on that album necessarily. And I also didn't have a problem with it when he did the, with the, the album with Alan Toussaint. Oh no. River in Reverse where. I love that album. Well, but he was doing a number of tracks with their composer, granted, Alan Toussaint, uh, but originally performed by. African-American artists. It's, you know, it's, it's odd to hear Elvis sing. Who's going to help brother get further. That's yeah. And I didn't think about that honestly, until we were having that discussion about what was bothering us with the Springsteen album. And to put it in the time and place when river in reverse came out, which I want to say is 2006. I was, yeah. I was the music manager at uh, Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. and I I would play that, and be- because you know it's I, I, me, and I can <laughs> see the I can see the now playing rack mm-hmm. um, at, at Barnes and Noble, and I can see it being whatever Elvis Costello album you happen to like that week. Whatever Robin Hitchcock album you happen to like that week, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Some of the most and fun, whatever Squeeze album you like that week. Some of the most fun that I had was running a music department because pretty much I, I you know, we we would get the standard box, uh, monthly box of, of in store plays, right? Mm-hmm. And I would just be like, well, we have this license to to play things in store you have to have you have to have a license to be able to to do that 
Mm-hmm. So I, what I would do at the time is, is I spent, I spent a lot of time curating what was there. I, I would frequently, you know, make sure we had things um, in stock that were, I would, I would pour through NME and uh, Mojo and mm-hmm. Uncut and Paste and be reading reviews and I would go and listen to things and try to figure out what we should carry and I would order these albums in and I would I would then buy the copies that I wanted for myself and I would take them home and then burn copies of them and I would f- add them into the in-store plays as long as mm-hmm. they didn't have objectionable language so I would just throw those in there as well and I would use that to you know be like Essentially, I made it my own high fidelity, right? Um, my, my my own, you know, permanent record. You know, the more um, the more I um the more you tell go on the story, the more I think of uh, the line in "Losing My Edge" and by LCD Census. And where he goes, he used to work in the record store. I used to hear everything before anyone. <laughs> 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 Never wrong. <laughs> mm. So I was there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, you know, trip down nostalgia lane. I, I did, I did enjoy kind of curating what that, uh, what that, what we were playing. And I, you know, I, I, I loved being able to or have somebody like walk back into that department and be like, what's playing? I'd be like, let me tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you all about this. You, you, and, you, and then, know, you don't know Robin Hitchcock. <laughs> And then you need this album and then, and then, you know, getting somebody into, and then I would have, it was great. I would have people come back and be like, you know, you sold me this, these records, well, these CDs and, <laughs> you know, I really, I really loved it. What else you got? <laughs> I feel like this is my dream. I'm going to go cry now. <laughs> you see, if you touch one, you know, you reach one person. <laughs> no, it was the best. Anyway, when when go see Jerry at Barnes and Noble, man, <laughs> he'll hook you up. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Anyway, um, so long story short, I'm going to quit my new job and and finally open a new record store. Um, oh okay. Um, with your with your who and wall money. <laughs> yeah. By the way, we're going to need a lot more subscribers. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyhow, I always wanted to work in a record store, though. It was like one of my, like, I worked in a movie theater, which was like pretty close, and I could go. Um, I mean, mind you, it was a second run movie theater, but I could always be like, nah, you don't want to see uh, Liar Liar, you want to see Get Shorty, that's a good one, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I get it. That was the same thing working on the book side of it. That was always what mm. I, I, I would have, you know, working in a theater would have been the trifecta. Yeah. And like I worked projection too. That was the best. Just hanging out there, like watching the movies play or listening to the movies. It was the best, dude. Just have like the whole place to yourself and just like, well, welcome to my, <laughs> welcome yeah. to my kingdom. <laughs> but my, my point with that was, we we got an in store of the river and reverse, and of course it was in heavy and in heavy rotation because I loved it. Mm-hmm. I still do. I think it's a great record. It is. But there we had a, a bookseller there, a, a, an African American bookseller, mm-hmm. who came back one day and was like, "Who the hell is singing these songs?" 
Oh. And it didn't, it, it honestly, at the time, you know, this was 15 years ago, it, it didn't occur to me. At the, I was just like, it's the new Elvis Costello. And you know, you left out the Alan Toussaint part. Well, I mean, she picked it up. She could see that it was Elvis and, okay. and Alan. Um, but I, I, it didn't. I didn't. I didn't think about it about the fact that this is, you know, a, a British male, white British male singing, you know, on your way down or, or, uh, or freedom for the stallion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's. It just it does in retrospect seem like it even if you're being accompanied by the man who wrote the songs, it still seems like it's in kind of poor taste. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, of course nowadays, and, 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 and rightly so, it you don't think about that. And it's funny as I didn't think about it either. I just thought, oh, this is really like I like the collection and the choices and. Well, I think that as a concept, I think there's still a distinction because mm-hmm. it is a a collaborative album with the songwriter, right? And they wrote songs together. You know, there were there were originals on that as well, and it's a clear mm-hmm. homage. And the whole the whole drive behind the album also was it was in the wake of Katrina, of Katrina. and um, of course Alan Toussaint, famous. You know, New, ambassador no, yeah. of New Orleans, New Orleans, if you will, as I like to say. <laughs> yeah, I said we were talking about Miller's Crossing on my other podcast, uh, The Life of the Mind, mm-hmm. um, about the Coen Brothers. Um, get wherever you get podcasts, free plug. <laughs> and yeah, um, they filmed that in um, New Orleans. And I said, New Orleans, you know, as if I've been there before. Mm-hmm. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> And, and our guest, um, the remarkable Jen Johans, uh, who does the podcast Watch with Jen, we're available wherever podcasts are. Um, kind of, I could, I don't, I, I don't know if she was reacting to how I was saying Nolans, but I, I could kind of look at him like, oh, like, oh, you, uh, <laughs> you've obviously been there. And I had to real, no, I've never been there. <laughs> anyway, it, it just, it, there's, it, it, I, I, I still think that that's a good album and I don't have a problem. I, I, I still look at, I could see why it might have that. And I respect that there's somebody feeling that way, that mm-hmm. it has that racial insensitivity or that appropriation kind of thing. I, I do think that because it was in collaboration with the songwriter, I, I think that it has a little bit, did the customer say anything else about it? I'm curious. The employee? No, employee. she just... And her chief complaint was that she just didn't like his voice. And to be fair, I mean, Elvis's voice just isn't for everybody. No. Much like Bruce Springsteen now. Indeed. But, <laughs> again, then to bring it back to my point, I, I feel like the combination of the working with the songwriter, coming up with new songs as well, mm-hmm. and there being what felt like a very clear and... Um, prescient through line to the whole purpose of the album all of this is absent from springsteen's true yeah i think people the thing to remember too is that like yeah this was in the wake of katrina and the injustices that and that happened and continue to happen yeah continue to happen in its wake Mm um yeah i I honestly didn't think too much about because, again, like it's actually 
if it wasn't for this album, I would have never, I hate to admit, I would have never known about Alan Toussaint. Oh, really? Probably not. I'm not, I always, I mean, he's always been like considered a jazz guy and I'm not that big into jazz. Well, no, I mean, he, he's, but he's, done he's like an other, R&B guy. Yeah, he's an R&B guy too, but I wasn't really into Sure. Like R&B, my, my extent of R&B is, uh, at least at the time, was um, Motown, Al Green, and whatever, and Boys to Men. Oh, of course. And uh, uh, whatever else played in the 90s, because I was really into R&B in the 90s. Um, you know, your Joe DCs, your... Uh, sure. <laughs> Um, and whatnot. Um, I wasn't really that deep into it back then. So I, I'm like, if it wasn't for this coming out, I would have never boned up on my Alan. Oh, and I realized, oh, he's the, he did this. He did that. He did this. Right. What's interesting is I, I also came to Alan Toussaint through Elvis, but it was, um, it was years before this album came out because I had, um, because he, uh, feature, he produced the Elvis Costello and the Attractions Yoko Ono cover that Walking on Thin Ice. Yeah. Uh, so I knew about that. And I also knew he played piano on uh, Deep Dark Truthful Mirror mm-hmm. off of Spike. Yep. So, that was kind of where I then went into mm-hmm. researching him some more. And, and so I knew about him before this album came mm-hmm. out, but also in connection to Elvis, which is interesting. Um, I think, I think Elvis is actually really good with that as far mm-hmm. as championing and trying to, um, you know, get his influences out there. Mm-hmm. I, if it, again, like I, I, I am so, I don't know why I'd be so ashamed because, I mean, if you hear it, you hear it, and you love it, you love it. Who cares how you hear about it? Right. Um, but, like, I, if it wasn't for Bowie, Byrne, as in David Byrne, and Elvis, so I, and maybe even to a degree, the Rolling Stones, because the Stones love like 50s blues like oh yeah like your money wires like they've covered them they yeah influenced by them it's maybe want to research like what i sticky fingers when you want to go back and see what the influences of those were like of these songs were and uh, and it's very clear like they're big blues fans and i wouldn't have no i don't and i still don't know that much about blues mm-hmm. but i know more than i did because i wanted to know why Keith and Mick were so in love with this shit, or not shit. It's not shit <laughs> with the with the music. Um, same thing with Bowie and Bowie and Byrne have been such champions of um, music that they love. Like Bowie always has done like a cover of um, of someone that they like on, on someone that he likes on his records. Well, I mean, yeah. and that's... That Especially recently. Burn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's really what he was pumping out through his label initially. Yeah, um, well, with Luca Bop, that's yeah. what he... That's, that was all like the... Like this South Af- uh, South American rhythm music. Right. Um, that 
well, you started to hear a little bit on his early solo records and on uh, Talking Heads Naked. Right. Um, and he has a whole, like, uh, a radio station on... Um, Apple Music. Apple Music, which is how I've heard about, like, so many bands. Uh, I think we were talking a few weeks ago about this band, and I, his name escapes me. They actually were ju- this band though was just here in Mesa like a month ago. Oh yeah, and they've been like popular for ten freaking years, huh? And, or well, yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was one of your recommendations. Yeah, it was one of my recommendations, and I'm like, they've been here for ten years, and then I'm like, like I'm just thinking to myself, God, I'm gonna kick myself in the ass for like not knowing about this sooner. But I mean, like, I'm glad that I found out, right? Know? So I, I think that that is ultimately i mean that's that's what good artists do they own up to what their influences are Mm -hmm. and then also say hey by the way you need to check this out Mm -hmm. and and bowie too like he has he has a whole covers album Mm pinups and he's always been he's not been shy that his influences are ran anywhere from velvet underground to roxy music Mm mm-hmm to Iggy and produce them and work with them and um and and Tina Turner and like like he's he's very his whole career was guided by whatever he dug at the time right but he was also like like he like Pink Floyd <laughs> like um and all these other like he Pimps like again Pimps is like a whole Around. And you can see that like in his later albums, like in Heathen, he do, he covers the damn Pixies. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and um, uh, what's the reality? He covered Modern Lovers. He did Pablo Picasso. Oh, well, did you know he was an asshole? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no one, no one called him an asshole. No one called him one. Yeah, no one ever called him. But he, he, you know, he'd drive down the street in his Eldorado. <laughs> I love that. Um, and I know it's not really, you know, everybody, whether it's Jonathan or even when, uh, when, oh shoot, what's his name? Jerry Harrison. Harrison was on, on Marin. He, he made a point to say that that was not ever intended as an album. It was a demos collection. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just, <laughs> but still, I mean, everybody who owns it considers it one of the greatest albums ever. I know. It's funny. This is everything pretty much that's uh, <laughs> come out from uh, Richmond's uh, come out from Richmond. At least two or three albums come out from Richmond after that sounds like a fucking demos album. <laughs> well, I, that's that's the thing about I mean, that was that was that demos collection was lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. It was it, he never sounded that way again. Yeah, you know there would be echoes of that maybe, um, in in the when it when it essentially became Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers for the next decade or so, mm-hmm. it just slowly it it became less and less that you know obviously Velvet Underground loving first album, and then and then eventually just became him and Tommy Larkins, you know some some. Uh, Spanish guitar and and drums, mm-hmm. which I also love, but there there was never another Modern Lovers album. Yeah, it's always been 
Jonathan. Sure. And I, and who doesn't love Jonathan? Yeah, bricklayer Jonathan. Doesn't he like bricks now? Isn't he a bricklayer? He I, that was the thing, right? He makes like outdoor barbecues or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's his deal. Yeah, and I love it. I can't. He just goes where his heart tells him to. Yeah. Living off the royalties of his, uh, you know, meager selling solo work. Yeah. And modern lovers. Anyhow, what else you want to talk about? <laughs> I, I When we were talking about cover albums, too, I was thinking about, because Duran Duran gets, uh, at the time of this recording, they will be uh, Hall of Famers in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I was just thinking about their atrocious covers album. Mm. There are some definitely bad covers albums out there, uh, yeah. of which the Springsteen album will join the ranks. But <laughs> you know what I watched on the plane? The, the flight out. Uh, one of the... I, I, I downloaded some Criterion Collection films before the flight. And one of them being Vim Vendor's the American friend. Oh, I was thinking, how long was the flight to? Uh, how long was the is the flight? To it Minnesota? was like three three hours. That's the perfect take. Yeah, that is the perfect time to watch until the end of the world. That would have been the perfect time to watch until the end. I, damn it, I should have done it. So I didn't. I'm I didn't, sorry, but American friend, I've never seen it. But I, I didn't know this. Oh well, it's just funny because until the end of the world, I have a copy of the Criterion edition of it, and I still haven't watched it. I think I bought this thing two or three years ago at this point, with the intention of watching it, and just still have not been like, I am ready now to sit down and watch all of this. Do you want to watch it all in one sitting? I do. Yeah. Okay, because I have found, like, for originally this movie was supposed to be eight hours long. Right. Yeah. And I think there's an eight-hour cut somewhere. Yes. And I heard nine, by the way, but yeah, which what the hell, dude? Like it's, I, but, but I mean, it's like a road trip. It's like a sci-fi dystopian road trip. Sure. Well, don't talk about no, any no, more no. of it until I've seen it. No, I know no, that no, no. much, but yeah. 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 But, and uh, I know what you know is it's got William Hurt. Yes. Um, and Sam Neill. And it's about a road trip, and it has a kick-ass soundtrack. Right. Um, I have found, though, the brief, beautiful moment in time when I had Criterion Channel. Mm -hmm. um, if you break it up an hour, like like a TV show. Sure. It goes, you're able to absorb it better. I've watched the two-hour version when I was a kid or teenager, which shocks me that I did that. <laughs> um, it, it just was on HBO one day. And I thought, well, this seems cool. Not realizing, uh, like, oh, it's about a satellite and William, you know, and William Hurt's in it. And I'm like, oh, well, this seems cool. I'm going to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> Not realizing that, uh, that I had no idea who Vin Vendors is. Oh, huh. <laughs> And what Paris, Texas is. So, like, I have no context of what's going on here. I watch this movie, and I know I, I think I'm going to like it because it t takes its title from a U2 song from an album I, I love. And I'm watching this, I'm like, going, 
I dig this. I'm on its wavelength, but this I, this is beyond my age group. <laughs> um, and I, I, so I've seen the two-hour version, and I enjoyed the four-hour version, but I had, at some point, you have to, like, take a break. Like, whether it's, like, it throws a lot at you, even at four hours. Right. So... Well, I, I I didn't know this about I, I I wish I had known this about the Criterion Channel app, uh, is that the downloads expire after X number of hours. I don't know. Uh-huh. So I had loaded up before the flight or before the trip for thinking of both the flight out and the flight back. And when I went to my download list for um, the flight back, I it said that um, they had all expired. I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. And now I don't have enough time to re-download the rest of them. But, so um, I, I was, like, for instance, I had been planning to watch The Long Good Friday on the back, or on the right oh, back. Oh, nice. So that, that would have been my... But back to the American friend. And I don't know why I was Bruno under... Gans, right? Yes, Bruno yeah. Gans. And Dennis Hopper. That's right. Now... I have been wanting to watch this film for some time because it's one of my Vim Vendor's blind spots. Mm-hmm. I had no idea of a couple of things. One, that it was Dennis Hopper. For some reason, I thought this entire time that it was uh, Harry Dean Stanton. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, nope, wrong new wave cinema guy. <laughs> like you thought that... Dennis Hopper looked like Harry Dean Stanton. Well, all I remember of the of the cover of this or the poster of this is that it's it's Bruno Gans clear, and then the kind of silhouette of the American friend basically over it, and they're wearing a cowboy hat. And for some reason, in profile, that person in the cowboy hat always looked to me like Harry Dean Stanton. Well, oh. that's all. Okay. Uh, I, I I had looked no further. All I knew was that it was a Vim Vendors film that I hadn't seen called The American Friend. And I'm like, this looks awesome. I will watch it at some point. And this was years ago. So I finally watched it on the flight out there. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Dennis Hopper. Cool. And then not knowing that it was based on the talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. I, 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 had, I had no idea. I knew that much. I knew it was... Uh... I knew it was Patricia Highsmith. I didn't realize it was. I knew it was a Ripley novel. I didn't realize it was the actual talented Mr. Ripley. I yeah. I, well, here it's probably worth looking up to see which one it's based on because I'm probably misremembering that. I, I did know it was a Ripley novel, and I knew it was. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's based on Ripley's game. Okay. So, so and it is supposed um, to be a very loose adaptation of Ripley's game. Yeah. So it's the sequel. It's, um, Ripley as he's older. Right. Cause they, they've done Ripley's game. They've remade that book or with and Malkovich. Didn't it, ha- didn't it have, yeah, I was just going to say Malkovich. 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 <laughs> Malkovich. Malkovich. <laughs> I will see you in court. It's my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's still one of the 
greatest films of all time being John Malkovich. Mm -hmm. I just, again, how that concept would come about. <laughs> not, okay, not only the con how the concept came about of people discovering, a person essentially discovering a portal into John Malkovich's head, but then the idea of commercial, you know, making money off of it, mm -hmm. tours, and that there would be so many people who would want to be inside John Malkovich's head. And then that they got John Malkovich to sign off on it. The, it, the series of it improbabilities. Seemed it seemed doomed from the start. Right. I think we have Michael, and you realize we have Michael Stipe to think for this, right? I mean, we have Charlie Kaufman. Like, this is Charlie, Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones. And Spike Jones, like who wrote and directed. But you realize one of the people who put this all together was Michael Stipe. Was yeah. Michael Stipe? Because that script had been talked about for years. We probably have him to thank for Catherine Keener in that because I believe they were a couple at the time. Him and Catherine Keener? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Oh. <sighs> Oh. But the American friend, I, um, it's, I, I'm, you know, we're not in recommendations yet, I suppose. Although we could be, if this is kind of a shorter episode for us, we could be in the recommendations, but there is one other thing that I, I want to talk about with you. Not exactly a bone I have to pick, but I'm just with me with you. It's not a bone. It's, it's, uh, it's a curiosity. It's a morsel. Uh, We'll get to it in a uh, sec. I, but I, I would say that you. Would, I mean, I fed your cat. What more you want, dude? And if I, I'm sure she appreciates it, and I appreciate it. <clears throat> but I, it's interesting having not seen this film mm -hmm. until now, and having seen the talented Mr. Ripley. Which is really great, by the way. It is, it is, but I, I would say that that is more of a faithful adaptation mm -hmm. than than Bender's uh, adaptation. Yeah, and this is it was great, by the way. It's it is you know it's a it's a late seventies neo noir, and it's got it's got it oozes style. Mm -hmm. Hopper is great in it. I really want to watch this movie now. Um, there's there's this this kind of art forgery thing that runs through it. And the person uh, who plays the, the artist, it, it's just, it, <laughs> I, I don't even know that he's ever mentioned by name or anything, but he's just this like weird grizzled old guy who at some point in the film starts wearing an eye patch. <laughs> this film is just fucking great. Um, so it's like octopusy. <laughs> yes, it's exactly like octopusy. <laughs> All I, no. hear, I hear forgery, and I'm thinking, oh yeah, Fabergé eggs. It's octopus. Like, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's great. I, I if, if you haven't seen it, I, I, I would recommend it. It it's it's. I I don't think that we have really that many great examples of Hopper as an actor out there where like where he's not just kind of nuts, you know, because oh, yeah, this yeah, yeah. is, Fair enough. you know, you think about him as Frank Booth and, yeah. and, and speed like yeah. our generation. That's all like, that's what we know Dennis Hopper as. Right. As, 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 as crazy basically yeah. as somebody who is an eccentric nut, mm -hmm. not realizing he's, um, He's a counterculture icon. Right. An artist. Right. 
Yeah. Um, and I, you know what? I need to actually see his filmography. As a director, he's got a pretty wild journey. Yeah. Because I, I mean, if you th- have, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and list off his his filmography Did as a, he, as a director. I'm going to ask you this because I know it's on your bookshelf. I'm about to impress you with some knowledge. Okay. Did he direct the adaptation of Paris Trout? I he starred in it. Don't think so. But I'm about to tell you. Yeah, because I assume you're on his... His I'm Wikipedia about to pull page. up his uh, filmography here. So as director or writer, no. No, okay, but he starred in it, if I recall. I remember enjoying that when I had Showtime a long time ago. The adaptation of Paris Trout. Um, but... Uh, Anyhow, so yeah. I, I want to go over his, his films as director. Yeah. So Easy Rider, obviously, uh-huh. screenwriter as well. Yep. Uh, the Last Movie. <laughs> I've heard about this movie. Which is looks insane. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard it. I've heard it's wild. It's a... Uh, yeah. A lot of drug-fueled uh, insanity. I yeah, think, I so think the seventies is pretty much. There, my there's a sentence state. in here that about the the about this film that says the film's initial failure led to Hopper's virtual exile from Hollywood, one that lasted well over a decade, <laughs> and that was in nineteen nineteen seventy one. Yeah, uh, so he wrote and directed that as well, though that was seventy one nineteen eighty. He directed Out of the Blue, which. I had never heard of. Yes, it's the first time I'm hearing of it. Um, it says it's a 1980 Canadian drama film directed by Hopper and starring Linda Manns, Hopper, Sharon Farrell, Don Gordon, and Raymond Burr. <laughs> uh, its plot follows a, a troubled and rebellious teenage girl living in the Pacific Northwest with her dysfunctional mother and alcoholic father. The song, The title is taken from the Neil Young song my my hey hey out of the blue which is also featured in the film it competed for the palm door at the 1980 film festival a uh, can film festival uh where it was met by controversy for its frank and uh, for its frank depiction of juvenile delinquency drug use and incest oh yeah i i'm now no longer interested i i think it would be interesting as a curio um but then, so then he he directs Colors, which yeah. is, I'm sorry, yeah, Colors, which is the, uh, Rob, which is Robert Duvall and Sean Penn. Yeah, that's pretty much your, and uh, that's kind of his his authentic. It's the one of the most authentic depictions of gang. Well, and it was a hit. Yeah, it was like a, a ten million dollar budget does forty six million dollars, um, and. Yeah, it's supposed to be. It's it takes place in the gang-ridden neighborhoods of Los Angeles, late 1980s South Central Los Angeles, Echo Park, Westlake, and East Los Angeles. Some of those which are are hipster towns now. <laughs> yeah, the uh, film centers on Hodges, uh, Bob Hodges, who's played by Duvall, an experienced Los Angeles Police Department uh, officer, and his rookie partner Danny McGavin, played by Penn, who try to stop the gang violence between the Bloods and the Crips. 
and Hispanic Street Gangs. Uh, Colors relaunched Hopper as a director 19 years after Easy Rider. And um, inspired discussion of who, its depiction of gang violence. Who's in the... There, was Trejo in that movie? I think I remember, remember Danny Trejo. Somebody like Danny Trejo was in that movie. I think that's movie. a little early for him. No, because he started being in movies in like 86. Like his... He, um, or was... No, he, well, in his interview, wasn't he talking? He was talking about how he became involved with movies initially. Oh no, it's Cheadle. It's Don Cheadle was in Colors, and he's like one of the yeah, gang Don members. Yeah, Don Cheadle as Rocket. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. he realized that he was working with actual gang members who wanted to kill him. Damon Wayans is in this as T Bone. <laughs> wow. I, I have never seen this. Surprisingly, it's it's a whole both in, uh, you know, in 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 you know the 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 Hopper filmography as director, but also in my Sean Penn filmography. I've never seen this movie. Yeah. I, I know I know it exists. I, I now I remember that Don Cheadle was in it, mm-hmm. and I remember Cheadle thinking that he was he was uh, getting a little more method than he expected to be. Uh, in the interview with Marin, but I, um, I've never seen it. Now I kind of want to see it. So then he does the film, which was originally titled Catch Fire, a romantic action thriller film that stars him and Jodie Foster. Oh, I know this movie. Yep, Fred Ward and Vincent Price. So then it got re-released in 1992 as a, a director's cut um, under the title Backtrack. Yep. And so Backtrack... The director's cut of it actually is supposed to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, then he does something called The Hot Spot. Yeah, with Don Johnson. And 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 uh, uh, Virginia Madsen. Yep. And it's like an Iraq And thriller. Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think his filmography would be really interesting to do. <laughs> and then his last theatrical release is Chasers. Oh, that movie's awful. Right? That movie is... Yeah. No, it's terrible. It's Yeah, it's really, really bad. Tom Berenger, Erica Lanyak. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 and he, I, like he how he ends up directing ball. it, it's, it's, and it's just a comedy. Yeah. yeah. That, I don't know. Yeah, how he ends up directing it is kind of crazy. But that's his, his last theatrical film. He had some short film um, later. And I remember like he's in like he's this mix of like direct like he's in Paris Trout. I remember that specifically. As I remember being very, uh, you know, really liking that. And I haven't seen it like in decades. Mm-hmm. And like he's in like these like direct to cable thrillers like what nails and you see him in Speed and you you know and whatever movies. Just like, oh. Yeah, he when pops up and just, you know, guy? he was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. I mean, <laughs> he, he's in Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> like, oh, you know what I need to see? Because especially considering who all is involved with it and that it's an Alex Cox film is Straight to Hell. Oh, yeah. Which is supposedly famously awful, but yes. it stars the Pogues. <laughs> And, and Joe it Strummer. has Elvis. Yeah, and uh, it has Elvis Costello and Joe Strummer. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, as as I've been going through the Cream Archive, there's a 
there, there is a review of it. And yes, is as awful as you think. And then they, well, and it's it's named after the Clash song, right? And it feel it features a song by Elvis called "Big Nothing." Yeah, uh, and um, Cy Richards is in it too. Cy Richards, Cy Richardson. It recently got re it got reappraised a few months ago in Aquarium Drunkard. Oh yeah. Um, as like this curiosity, it's just like this curiosity. Like, I'm I'm, I'm interested, but you know what other Alex Cox movie I want to see that I haven't seen? Hmm. Uh, Walker. Oh yeah, which has the Harris- Joe, it's 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 Ed Harris. It has the the Joe Strummer soundtrack. Yeah, I really want to see that movie because that just sounds like I want to see some unhinged Ed Harris. Mm-hmm. I I don't want to see like uh, Abyss Ed Harris. I want to see. Crazy psychotic Ed Harris. Yeah, I, I don't want to see cop Ed Harris anymore. I don't want to see, uh, um, you know, Apollo thirteen Ed Harris. I want to see Ed Harris kill some people. So. Yeah, Paris Trout, the nineteen eighty one adaptation, who featuring Ed Harris as well. Oh yeah, yeah. It's Ed Harris, um, Barbara Hershey, and Dennis Hopper. Who's the director of that? Stephen Gyllenhaal. Ah, Jake's dad. Yeah, and uh, Maggie's. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Um, so you have a bone to pick? Oh. Not exactly. So you you had texted me the other day, actually, while um, I think I was either on my way out or just it was the first day of my Nashville trip, uh, that I should watch the, tree, the new Treehouse of Horror. Yeah. Um, because you said it was actually good this time. Yeah, yeah. So I watched it. Yeah. And it was okay. I just thought it was... I, I was watching it perhaps with the eye of... Why does Jason think this is good? Oh, I'm sorry. I You did not like the idea of an anime Simpsons? I mean, no, it looks nice. It does look nice. You didn't like a um, Bob's Burgers crossover. Well, the the first of all, there was, it was like sixty seconds of Bob's Burgers. I'm sorry, it was I, the the Westworld parody. Yeah, and, that, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Um, it starts off with um, the, um, the Marge the, and the Monorail. The Duke. No, the Baba, I, the the Baba Duke, uh, the baby a Duke. Yeah, whatever the parody I, I did, of the Baba Duke is. Yeah, like I didn't. Um, I I enjoy the only thing I enjoy about that is they had to search for some moment in in their history where um, Marge is appreciated, <laughs> and um, it it took it took like forever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and never he never really found it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that part of music and and having never seen, I've never seen other than Westworld. Mm-hmm. I've never seen. Any, I've not seen Death Note. I've, I can't believe I say it. I've never seen the Babadook. Um, so you know, another blind spot. There we go. <laughs> uh, but no, um, I, I enjoyed the Westworld one. The Westworld, yeah. I mean, it was. I re- I just I got to the end of it. And I was like, eh, this is okay. I, I, I liked. I don't know. It just, it just lost something for me that it never gained back. And watching that, 
just made me think of because I had recently watched The Shining, and you know, I I should say rewatched because it's a film I've seen many times over the years. Love that film. It's it it's it's a brilliant film. I know Stephen King hates it, but in this in this particular instance, Mr. King, you can respectfully go fuck yourself. Yeah, and 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 Stephen King, not everything Stephen King has written is amazing. But I, it's it's just it's it's a fantastic film. Everybody in it is amazing. However, I can't watch that film without thinking of. No TV and no beer make Homer something, something. <laughs> Go crazy? Don't mind if I do. <laughs> and then, you know, groundskeeper Willie talking about the shinning. <laughs> oh, you mean like the shining? Quiet, boy, you want to get sued? <laughs> If you need me, you just got to use your shinning. Except every, what is it, like every Tuesday between noon and three or whatever the time is, because that's willy time. (laughs) (laughs) For once, I understand understand your Simpsons reference. It's just, it's one of the greatest parodies of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I... uh... But so... But that, I mean, because I had that in mind recently, mm-hmm. as I was watching this Treehouse of Horror, I was like, I mean, it, it'll never live up to, to that. It'll just, it'll never live up to that level of parody. But you don't think, or even self-parody. But you don't think, on some level, that their Westworld parody, which, let's face it, is biting, is a little bit of biting the hand that feeds them. Which wow. is now Disney, but Westworld is as well, as you know Westworld is Warner Brothers. So as far as they're concerned, fuck. No, 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 no. But are you talking about like IP and IP, the theme parks and yeah. that kind of thing? That's a sure. little bit of biting the hand that feeds them a little. Well, I mean, and the Simpsons are always going to do that. Yeah, and they've always done it. But I, I enjoy that they did that on such a on mildly a, clever level. Yeah. No, I mean it was fine. I. There are some things I like, like and the family <laughs> guy, like the Family Guy world, and the yeah, no, no, Bob's Burgers world, I, and the I, South Park world. Yes, I. There were some things that I thought were clever about that. I appreciated the as they were panning through the grandpas and the grand the grandpa yelling at you know Grandpa Simpson yelling at the clown. yeah, uh, and and the. And I think what is it Bart who says should we should we grab a grandpa robot to go with this? And Homer says no time, and then crushes all of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that was fine. I, it was it was funny. I got some chuckles out of it. It it all it all it did though was make me nostalgic for the the heyday of the Simpsons. The heyday of the Simpsons. And I think that actually, you know, you bring up a good point because you mentioned. You mentioned as as I was describing the the shining parody of the Simpsons. And isn't there a point where and there was a point too there was a joke I think in the Death Note parody mm-hmm. where they're like or maybe it was the Babadook parody where someone says, 
the show lost its relevance by season 45. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Like, they know what's up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Um, and I think it, it might have been the Westworld parody, actually. Yeah. Uh, something along those lines. They mentioned that the show lost its... <laughs> yes. I, I there yes there was there was a lot of that that I appreciated it, it just I was gonna say I've seen far more episodes of The Simpsons than you have yeah uh, no and, I, I I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna cor- just slightly correct you okay you remember a lot more episodes okay. of The Simpsons so, than I do well it's probably I maybe to even correct your correction it's probably that I've seen episodes of the simpsons more times than you have fair enough (laughs) at any rate i I think because i have that those golden years in my mind that anything i watch now from the newer seasons is going to just pale in comparison to that because first of all there there was honestly there was no chance in hell that i was ever going to just stick with the simpsons every sunday night for the last 20 years or whatever it's been since I stopped watching new episodes. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm the, didn't make me want to go back. It, and I mean, and that's probably ultimately the thing is really just that I I am not going to be able to watch a new episode without comparing it to the glory days. Um. Well, that's your. Well, I don't, and I, yeah. I wish that I could because I think mm-hmm. that I would enjoy some of them. Yeah. I but the the fact that I have seen you know that golden age of let's say from season three to season we'll say season eleven or twelve I'll be generous mm-hmm. that span is just so canonically classic and has for me anyway having seen all of those episodes so many times I, I'll tell you at some of the presentations I did in Nashville. Like I had, you know, I had moments in there of the, the, um, in my, in my slideshow of, of, you know, the king size Homer where he is, where he gains all that weight to get, uh, out of having to go into work <laughs> so he can work from home, <laughs> which, you know, by the way, has some new relevance in, in this, in this current, uh, yeah. work from home climate. Of uh, where, where he is is trying to start the computer and it says press any key and he's like, any key? Where's the any key? <laughs> and then he hits the, he's like, oh, I guess I'll order a tab. And then it starts, he's like, no time. It's got to start the computer. <laughs> Just start it. But yeah, that, I mean, that episode and I had the, um, the bit where, uh, where Bart is, has joined the, the Boy Scouts and he has to read the... Um, what is it? The I forget the exact name of it, but it's something along the lines of of the ten do's and the nine hundred don'ts of uh, of of a pocket knife, right? <laughs> that you have to read before um, before you can get your knife, and and it starts out with don't don't do what don't do what Johnny don't does or something. Like that. <laughs> it says they could have made this easier. I, it's just th- those those moments that no matter how long it's and I haven't even seen those episodes probably now for at least a, a decade, despite mm. the fact that they're just at my fingertips and they're just lodged in here, where where to be fair there should probably be important things like how to handle 
uh, a relationship, you know? <laughs> 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 um, how, to, how to show a girl you appreciate her or <laughs> I, you know, how to not be insecure. Okay. It's one thing if I'm going to take myself down, it's another thing if you're going to take me down. It's just, I, I don't know, because it, they're, they're just so ingrained in there. I don't think that, that I'm going to be able to, to have that kind of appreciation that, that you can. Well, I, for one, enjoyed the episode. Um, I thought it was clever to a point. Obviously, it, it falls short. I thought, oh, for a while, I was like going, what are they doing with Marge and the monorail here? And I didn't realize oh, yeah. it was a... I that didn't was a fun flashback. Was, yeah, I didn't realize it was going to be a Westworld parody. Yeah. So the fact that it turned into that, and they just made fun of everyone. I kind of like that they Homer... They themselves. Homer has the dent in his head the entire time. Yeah, I like that too. The accidental way that he kills the... Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that uh, he wonders where his penis is. Um, uh, like that, it's a it's a damn good parody of Westworld, which I guess got canceled yesterday. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Which I can't watch anymore anyway because yeah. of... Uh, Neither can I. Not having HBO Max. No. But um, I, after... Um, uh, after I occasionally dip my toes back in and into the Simpsons, and when I do, I'm, I'm usually not rewarded as high as much as uh, I'd like to be, and that was uh, a rewarding episode. And, uh, I remember just like happening to tune in an episode uh, years back that was new, and thinking, "Oh, this was pretty good, actually." I think we can, we we're ready to wrap it up now. Do you at this point have a recommendation? Have you had time to? Uh... Um, I can recommend at the bare minimum. Um, I enjoyed it, but not enough to uh, give it to. I, it's a movie I like, but really wanted to love, which is a shame. Um, I watched Wendell and Wild. I saw that on your letterbox. Yeah. yeah. Which is the new... Um, Henry Selleck. Yes. The, the, he who brought us... Uh, uh, Coraline. Coraline, yeah. And The Nightmare Before Christmas, Nat Tim Burton. Right. And the extremely underrated Monkey Bone. I will oh, not, yeah. I will not apologize. <laughs> Nobody's asking you to. <sighs> there will be people who want me to apologize for it. I will not apologize for Monkey Bone. Anyway, um, so I watched it, and it gets really mired in some world building for about the first 45 minutes, like, and just plot, like, but it's so nice to hear Key and Peele back together again, mm. and it's just so visually stunning. I was going to say, from what I've seen, it looks amazing. But it's on Netflix, and I'll never be able to see it. Yeah, and which, um, and the fact that the character is like this distinctive, like comes from a distinctive point of view. She's clearly Afropunk, um, listens to X-ray Specs, uh, like, um, and Minor Threat, and just uh, has a 
boombox with a speaker that looks like an eyeball. <laughs> like, it's just visually clever and fun. And I just, like, if it didn't get so mired in, like, the world building in, like, the first 45 minutes, I would love it. Um, but because, like, there's these, like, things they have to do and these asides and whatnot, it, like, it it gets a little, like, it, it starts to lose its way a little bit. They trimmed it by, like, 10 minutes. It would have been, like... So it's, it sags in the middle? It's It sags in the beginning. Oh, huh. Interesting. It's, well, it sags about a half an hour in. But you you would still say it, it kind of it manages to transcend that, and you would recommend it. Yeah, because once it all comes together, it's a, like it's a lot of fun. It just, um, it just it, it's about ten minutes. If you trimmed about ten minutes off of it, it would have been like a damn masterpiece. And it's just again like it's fun. It's a distinctive distinctive hero. It's, um, it has a, like, it's got a voice and it's just, it's fun and it's clever. Um, I, I just really like, especially after, um, watching Nightmare Before Christmas with Beckett mm-hmm. and feeling like all the commercialism that, uh, came with that movie even now. Yeah. One would argue, one could argue that it is more now than it was then. Yeah. Well, that's because they finally figured out what to do with it. Mm. Um, they realized that emo kids watched that movie and they could. Well, yeah, that that was the thing. They they realized what to do with it, which was market it to the audience that ended up appreciating it. Yeah, yeah. ten like about five ten years later, they're like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. like we'll just there's this whole generation that's seen and liked it, so we'll just keep doing it, and like and now it's just become like this. And we will now own Hot Topic. Yeah, and, and it's just it's become and yeah, and now it has its own chain of stores called Hot Topic, and um, and its own bands called Fall Out Boy, and like and again, like it's nice to see like and um, it has been too long since Henry Selick has been has done something like this because Coraline is a stone cold masterpiece. Yeah. Um, and I guess he tried to do something with Pixar for a while and, um, Pixar just specific, specifically John Lasseter, who was the founder of Pixar. Sir hugs a lot. Yeah. Sir hugs a lot. Um, he, um, got the, he messed with it so much that it ballooned the budget and they didn't want to. And it's too expensive. We don't want to do it anymore. Hmm. Like it wouldn't have been expensive if your Sir Hugs a lot wouldn't have uh, messed with my creation. Um. So, um, it, for all its faults, it's um, it's something that I really liked. I want to really love it though. Hmm. But um, it's it. I want him to keep making stuff. And, but the man's like 69. I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to do this shit. How old is he? 69. Nice. So. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, I know you were in your train of thought, so it took you a moment. But from over here watching, you realize why I said nice. 
That was fantastic. All right. Uh, while you're recovering, I'm going to go ahead and make my recommendation, which is is the uh, Banshees of Inishirin. Oh, did you you went to see it? I did go to see it last weekend. Yep. Absolutely fucking phenomenal. Martin McDonough, written, directed, um, just incredible performances all around from uh, Colin Farrell, who I hope gets nominated now. Because he is, he. I, I think he's been deserving of, of an award for a while. Man, sober Colin Farrell's awesome. I well, I I would argue that even pre sober Colin Farrell was. Yeah, great. drunk Colin Farrell was pretty fun to watch. He, he was. Too. I think he was. Um, let's say more inconsistent. But have you seen Miami Vice lately? No, but you keep telling me to. <laughs> you got to join the squad, man. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what's funny is that um uh both um it seems like uh both um I, barbara um vandenberg saw mm-hmm. um raved about too and she also just recently saw the keep <laughs> and had the exact oh. same opinions as you do. Uh, questionable <laughs> it, it, it certainly is it's it's a curio i think it's worth watching the keep is um yeah. just not only for being a michael mann completist but also for um uh just like the batshit craziness of it seeing yeah. you know baby face gabriel Byrne. Um, yeah we were talking i think that's how it came up is because we were uh we were discussing Morris crossing oh sure yeah and we had um I have been curious about what, um, if Gabriel Byrne had been something other than, you know, um, a Ken Russell movie, because uh, he was in one or two before. Because mm. 90s was his heyday. Yeah. And now he's, I, I don't know what he's in now. I don't know either. But I mean, most recently, I think of him as being in, well, I mean, uh, in session. Oh, oh, yeah, right. in treatment. In treatment. Yeah. Why yeah. do I think in session? That's right. But yeah, he's so good in in treatment. Oh my gosh, that show is amazing. Uh, um, but back to the Banshees of Industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Brennan Gleason, phenomenal in it. Uh, Carrie Condon, amazing. Also, I have a huge crush on Carrie Condon in that movie now. Oh, okay. Uh, Barry Keegan, great. Yeah, just. Such such phenomenal acting, such brilliant performances. There's such tension in it too. Just for for a, for a fairly what is presented as a fairly straightforward drama, just a very adult film. And I don't mean as as in sixty nine nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No no wobble guitar, but. Um, just it's a it's a straight up adult film. It's 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 a drama between people, but there is there's 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 an incredible amount of tension in it. It keeps you for what it what looks like a very just austere, serene film, just full of atmosphere and Ireland and the, the you know these kind of quirky townsfolk. Um, it's. The, it has literally in the background the Irish Civil War going on. Mm-hmm. It, I just, I, I, it's, it's buying right up there with tar 
for me for best film of the year. Uh, that's that's awesome because I mean me and um, Ayers were talking about Tar and we just like love 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 loved it and so it's gonna be hard for me to beat. I don't know if this beats it necessarily, but it's it's vying right up there. Is it at least better? Is it at least better than three billboards? Okay, well, first of all, we know that you and I disagree on the merits of three billboards because I think that all you have to say is yes, Jared. Well, yes, it is. It is a better film. It might be the best film that he's ever made. It better than in Bruges? I think so. Yes. Damn, dude, that's that's bold. It's real bold. I mean, it 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 has it even has notes of humor in it too. It it has they're they're much more sly and subtle, mm-hmm. but it's it is just it, it it's just this incredibly human story with some bizarre kind of things that happen in it. Um, it's probably one. It, it's probably his most understated film as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I highly recommend it. I, I, I know that you and I disagree on, on, on three billboards. I don't, because I personally don't think that Martin McDonough has made a, a dud. I know that there are some, some objectionable things portrayed in three billboards, but I don't think that you can, um, that, that I don't think that somebody can just objection, that they can look at it, study it from the, dialogue itself the performances of the actors in it it's i i just i think it's a good film so i don't think that martin mcdonough has ever made a bad film yeah and but and to be clear about how i feel about three billboards um, i'll just say again for funsies i don't like the only reason why I, i don't think it's a badly made film i just don't like the point of view his point of view is him commenting on clearly American issues as an Irishman. I, I'll gladly, it's why I like in Bruges because I know it's coming from someone who's on the inside. Sure. It's why I want to see this one because I mean, McDonough, come on, Irish. Right. right. <laughs> so I, I, if I were, uh, if I were to go ahead and rank what I think the, you know, McDonough's filmography goes, it, it, Banshees of Inisherin, number one with a bullet up at the top there in Bruges. Uh-huh. Uh, then Sounds Seven like Psychopaths, and then Three Billboards. Bold. But, yeah, well, let's see. Let's see where you're at. All right. Um, yeah. That's the show. Next episode, two weeks from now, we, we are going to be getting Tweety with it, with his... With the uh, alt alt, I guess I would go so far as to say alt country supergroup, uh, Golden Smog. <laughs> if 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 anything can be called alt country supergroup, uh, Golden Smog's down by the old mainstream from 1996. When I was making the list of the albums that we need to cover for this, which yeah, yeah. this is going to definitely take us through the end of the year and into the next year because they're. Tweet is a busy guy. <laughs> I mean, and we're excluding all of his production work. Can't stop, don't stop. Just some of his like random cameos on things and everything. Yeah. These are these I only picked the albums where he was part of the band, contributing to the songwriting, contributing songs, contributing mm-hmm. um, like actually part of the band for the album. Um, 
so we're doing the the Golden Smog albums, the two albums where he was an integral part of uh, of the minus five. I think I put the EP in there too because yeah, I think you did. Uh, it's it's a significant EP. It's seven tracks. It's a mini album, really. Uh, the uh, I was happy to include the Seven Worlds Collide album. Um, yeah, <laughs> because I mean he isn't he plays on most of those tracks. Yeah, yeah, and he uh, contributed a couple of songs, one of which ended up making a Wilka album proper. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, it's a it's a Neil Finn project, which I'm like, yes, I get to talk some Neil Finn on that episode. Yep. Um, and then of uh, then his uh, the Tweety album and his solo work. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it ends up being quite a quite a few albums, but. That'll be next time. All right. By the old mainstream. Thanks for listening, Platypeeps. Keep it mental.